Good morning. Like Evan said, we are currently living in Turkey, so we haven't been here very long, which means that I've only gotten to meet some of you. So before I dive into today's text, I'd like to just take a moment, introduce myself, and just give you a message from my family to yours. Uh, my name is Aaron. My wife is Brittany here. Uh, we got to be a part of kind of the very beginning stages of Harvest, starting in Kyle's living room and moving to the beginning of the time at the craft center. But then God called our family to Turkey, where we've been living for the last three and a half years, and kind of getting to watch through the lens of conversations with Kyle and conversations with others of you, getting to watch God develop this church and bring this church to the point where it is now and to where he's going to continue to take it. So that's been really neat, but it's much neater to see it in person. <laughs> so we're very glad to be here. Uh, but I wanted to tell you before we start how much we appreciate Harvest Church. Um, the entire time we've been over there, you guys, whether you know it or not, whether you've been a part of it directly or indirectly, just as a member of Harvest Church, you guys have supported us and cared for us and encouraged us, given us wisdom, breathed life into us while we have been over there. You have been the perfect partner for us. And so I just wanted you to know how much we appreciate you guys through letters, through phone calls, text messages, conversations, emails, packages, short-term trips, in every way that I can imagine, you guys have partnered with us well. So thank you uh, for that. And I, I really can't say anything more than that. Just thank you. So today, uh, we're going to be in John 14. You can turn there. We're going to start in verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. While you're turning there, I'm going to help us get a running start. John's brought us to within just a couple of hours of Jesus' arrest, his trial, his con condemnation, and his uh, crucifixion. So we're picking up in the middle of Jesus' final before I go conversation with his disciples. Right now, Jesus knows what's coming. I feel like he knows with extreme specificity what is coming. And I have a sense that the disciples, they probably have an idea that something's coming, but they definitely don't know with uh, the specificity that Jesus knows uh, what they're about to experience. And so as Jesus is telling them all of these important things that he wants them to know before he goes, he's transitioning to kind of a final encouragement for them. He knows that what they're about to see, not just in this moment that's about to follow, not just in the crucifixion, not just in uh, the torture that they're going to see him experience, but even after he is buried and resurrected, he's going to ascend to heaven. And then they're going to be left seemingly alone. He's not going to be with them anymore. And it's going to be their job not only to remember everything that he had taught them for the last several years, but to understand a lot of the stuff that they didn't understand when he was speaking it to them. And then they're going to have to pass that along to what will become the new church as they take part in the Great Commission. And if that's not enough of a heavy load, seeing their friend and mentor and Messiah crucified and having the burden of the New Testament church's theology and doctrine on their shoulders, 
throughout the rest of their lives, they're going to be persecuted and tried and ultimately face the same fate that Jesus faced. Jesus knows that what's coming for these men, these common men, is too much for them to carry. And so last week, Kyle kind of read the intro into what we're going to read today. And in verse 15 and 16, Jesus promises them, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper who will be with you forever. Jesus is telling them, you don't have to do this alone. What's coming is too much for you, but you're going to have a helper. And Kyle said it well last week when he said that it's, helper is an unfortunate word, but it's the best word that we have in the English language. But if you're like me, when you think of a helper, you think there's someone who's actually doing the work and then there's his helper who just kind of hands him the tools that he needs as he needs them. But that's not, that's not what Jesus was trying to convey here. What Jesus is conveying is this is going to be too much for you. And so the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to encourage you along the way. He's going to give you peace in the midst of your troubles. He's going to give you wisdom when you need it. He's going to guide your steps. He's going to remember He's going to help you remember all of the things that Jesus taught you, and then he's going to help you understand them, not only well enough for yourself, but well enough to teach it so that the New Testament church has good doctrines and good theology. The Holy Spirit was not just going to be their helper. The Holy Spirit was going to be their lifeline for life and ministry. In the same way, for all of us who have believed in Jesus, he's our lifeline for life and ministry. And so that's where we're picking up today. We're going to start in verse 18. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and focus in on one verse that I feel like kind of encapsulates the big idea that Jesus is trying to communicate. So let's start in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, that is not the betrayer, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, so let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you all of this before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you might believe. I will no longer talk much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. So rise, let's go from here. If you're like me, that probably seemed a little bit all over the place and not focused. Jesus Jesus talked about several different things, touched on several different topics, and we won't have time to talk about all of them. 
But I take heart in seeing that the disciples were a little bit confused too. <laughs> Judas asked him, Jesus, what are you talking about? When you say, you're not going to leave us as orphans, you'll come to us and you'll make your home in us and we'll be in you and you'll be in the Father and the world won't see you, but we'll see you. Like, What are you talking about? And so Jesus says, okay, backs up a step and he says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. I think that is the main idea that Jesus was communicating in this passage of Scripture right here. And he framed it in both a statement and in a promise. The statement was, if anyone loves Jesus, then they will keep Jesus' commandments. Said more personally, if you love Jesus and if I love Jesus, then we will keep his commandments. And a promise followed that. The promise was separate from the statement, but it was connected to it. Jesus will give the Holy Spirit to everyone who loves him. He said more fully, he said, the Father will love those who love me, and the Father will give the Holy Spirit in my name. So Jesus has promised that those who love him will receive the Holy Spirit, the helper. We're going to focus first on the statement, but as we think about this statement that Jesus said, everyone who loves me will keep my commandments, I think it's important for us to realize that he says that four times in a matter of nine verses between verse 15 and verse 24. So that tells us that it's probably pretty important. And he's saying this right before he's going to be taken away and arrested. This is one of the last things he's going to say to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you're like me, I'm afraid that you've probably heard that or read those, read those verses, read others like them, and totally missed the point. <laughs> I've heard those voices, those verses more times than I can count as Jesus emphasizing the importance of obedience. But that's not what those verses are about. Those verses are about loving Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and followed by the promise that if the Father will love those who love Jesus and that he'll give the Holy Spirit to them. See, the thing is that receiving the helper, receiving the Holy Spirit for life and ministry is also synonymous with being saved. That's synonymous with being sealed by the Holy Spirit, receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's, that's being saved. No one gets that unless they're saved. And so if Jesus says, those who love me will keep my commandments and those, those people will receive the Holy Spirit, if we understand that to be saying, those who obey me will receive the Holy Spirit, then we're hearing something that says that we can earn our salvation. We're hearing something other than salvation comes by grace through faith alone. This is about loving Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't want you to hear me say anything like, Obedience is not important, because Jesus included obedience in that several times. But I think it's important that we understand the importance of obedience in its proper place. And the reason that obedience to Jesus' commandments are important is because our obedience is directly tied to our love for Jesus. If we don't love Jesus, we won't obey him, because we don't love him. And if we love Jesus radically, then we will obey him with radical obedience. And so that's, that's what I want us to think about for a moment. This is important 
Because obedience, we need to understand, is evidence of love. It's not merit for God's favor. Have you ever heard the term practical atheist? A practical atheist is someone who says that they believe in God, but everything in their life is that of someone who doesn't believe in God. Everything in their life shows that they don't give God any thought. They might as well be an atheist for all practical intents and purposes. I'm afraid that I have, and I'm sure that some of you can probably agree with this statement, I have fallen into the category of practical legalism at different parts of my life, where I would never say that I believed that my salvation was dependent on my obedience to God. I would never say that God's favor towards me and God's love towards me is dependent on my obedience. But if I really stepped back and looked at the way that I relate to God and, and in the way that I view his favor and his feelings towards me, it's very legalistic, or it has been very legalistic. And so what I want us to understand is that throughout Scripture, Jesus said, I've come to save all who would believe. We just saw four different times that Jesus said uh, that the Holy Spirit would come to those who love Jesus. But nowhere in Scripture does it say, that Jesus came to save those who obey him. It doesn't say that. So this is important because what we need to understand is Jesus is emphasizing in these four different statements in these nine verses, he's emphasizing our hearts, not our external actions. Jesus cares most about what we love and where our affections lie and not in what we do. Now again, I don't want you to hear me say that what we do does not matter but what we do flows out of our heart. So a good way for us to see this, a good example, is in Mark 10, the story of the rich young ruler. Most of us have probably heard this story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Even in this question, it's already, it shows that he thinks that salvation can be merited. He thinks that he can work towards something. Uh, so what must I do to be saved? And Jesus humors him initially, and he says, well, you know, you know the commandments, keep them. And he said, well, teacher, I've, I've kept the commandments my whole life. I've done everything. And Jesus said, okay, well then, go home, sell everything that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. Mark tells us that the man hung his head in disappointment, and he walked away because he was very rich. And Jesus wraps up this moment with his disciples by saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But why is that? Wealth is not inherently a bad thing. In fact, it's, it can be seen as a common grace of God, a, a blessing from God. Being wealthy is not bad. But you see, wealthy people have a lot more in their lives that's pulling at them, at their affections, at their love, that people who are not wealthy don't have. So it's harder for them to enter the kingdom of God because when God asks them to love him more than their stuff, to love them more, him more than their comforts or their plan, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And so we see in the story of the rich young ruler that he was willing to keep all of the commands, or at least he thought he was, but then when it came to, okay, well, love me more than you love your stuff, he wasn't able to do that. And so what we see 
is when he goes home and lives the rest of his life and he dies and he stands before God in judgment, he's not going to be judged ultimately because he failed to obey that command of Jesus. He's not ultimately going to be judged based on his failure to sell all of his things and give it to the poor. He's going to be judged because he loved those things more than Jesus. That's where the judgment comes, and that's what we're going to be judged for. We're not going to be judged based on what we did or did not do in, in terms of for our salvation. We're going to be judged based on did we love Jesus more than everything else, or did we love other things more than we love Jesus? This kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus was calling that man to do, to sell everything and to follow him and live basically as a homeless man, in the hypothetical, I think it's easy for us to say we would, we would do that. You know, if Jesus asked us, standing in front of us like he was that man, if he asked us to sell everything and follow him, of course we would do that. But when we take it out of the hypothetical and put it in practical terms of our living today, I'm not so sure. Jesus asks us to be generous with our money, to help those in need, maybe to get out of certain relationships or to ask for forgiveness and humble ourselves uh, towards people we've wronged. He asks us uh, to love him more than we love ourselves in a whole myriad of ways. And oftentimes, if you're like me, you don't. Oftentimes, if you're like me, you fail um, to do that. But you see, the thing is that I think we need to focus on is that the obedience that Jesus desires from us, it can't be achieved if what we're focusing on is not sinning. It can't be achieved if what we're focusing on is simply living a good life so that God will be pleased with us. That's burdensome. It's, it's going to crush us. It's going to frustrate us. And if you find yourself in that pattern of life, if you're here today and you can say, you know, I see that tendency in my own life to just try to do things right, try to live the way I'm supposed to, try to obey what I see in Scripture, try, 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 I bet you're frustrated at God. Or at least I bet you have been frustrated at God. You think, I've done this, 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 and this. You've asked me to do these things. I'm not doing these things. And yet I'm exhausted. But Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so if what we're doing is trying to obey Jesus and we're finding ourselves exhausted, then we're not doing it right. You see, the only way that we can obey Jesus in the way that he desires in these ways that we're seeing here is if we love him with a love that's greater than anything that we have for anything else. And the only way that we're going to achieve that is not by focusing on what he's told us to do and not to do, but it's by focusing on the love that he has shown us. You see, Jesus... The Word made flesh, the great I Am, the Most High God who dwells in matchless wonder and glory above the heavens and the earth. Philippians 2 tells us that he decided to come down from his throne to humble himself to the form of a bondservant, to take up our filth and our grime, to live the perfect life that we could never live, to fill, fulfill the commandments that we could never fulfill, and then to die on a cross so that you and I wouldn't have to absorb God's wrath towards us, so that you and I could be saved, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could spend eternity with him. He loved us 
to such a degree that he left his throne room to come die in our place, in your place, and in my place. And it's only when we focus on that, it's only when that consumes our mind and our thoughts that our affections will be kindled toward God, that our love will be kindled toward God, that out of that kind of love, obedience will follow. You see, obedience was never the goal in that scenario. The goal was, I'm loving Christ in return for his love towards me. And obedience naturally follows that. What we love will show in our actions. And so what we see is that Jesus is calling us to a love that produces obedience. He's not calling us to an obedience for the sake of obedience. That's not the people who have been promised the Holy Spirit. That's not the people who have been promised God the Father's love. Those who love Jesus have been promised that promise. And so now we're going to turn our attention towards that. We've talked about the statement, and now I'm finished with my introduction. Joking. The promise is that Jesus will give the Holy Spirit to everyone who loves him. Again, not everyone who obeys. Everyone who loves him will receive the Holy Spirit in his name. The Father will love everyone who loves Jesus. And there's more benefits to having the help of the helper in our lives than we could ever fathom, much less cover in a sermon. So today, I'm just going to mention three. One of them has just already been mentioned. It's the salvation that we get. When we receive the helper, when we receive the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians that we're sealed for salvation. We're sealed by the Spirit. And I can't think of a more glorious, wonderful gift than that alone. If nothing else came, that's enough. (laughs) But his gifts continue. And we're going to see two more that Jesus follows uh, his promise of the Holy Spirit. He follows uh, with two more things in this section that we just read. So we're going to read verse 26. Jesus is talking and he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you. Now let's remember, these are the same guys who they're about to see him crucified and buried, but then he's going to resurrect and ascend. He's going to leave them, and it's going to be their job to remember everything that he had said and to understand it well enough to teach it to others so that the doctrine and the theology of the New Testament church would be on sure foundation. That's the first thing that the helper was going to help them do. Jesus said, he's going to help you remember everything that I've said to you and help you understand it. And that's going to encourage them along their way. They don't see it now, I'm sure. But when he ascends, I'm sure that they're going to have to hearken back to these words pretty often. He's going to give us the words to say. He's going to remind us. He's going to give us wisdom. Trust in the helper. He is our lifeline. And in the same way, you and I, we have to hold on to that lifeline. Because, guys, I think it's easy for us to stand back and laugh at the disciples, or if not laugh at them, shake our heads at them when they stand before him and he's teaching them spiritual truths or teaching the crowd spiritual truths. And then the disciples pull him aside and they say, what were you talking about? (laughs) But we shouldn't, we should go easy on them. Because for the same reason our neighbors who have never been to church and who are not saved cannot understand the spiritual truths that we talk about, the disciples couldn't understand it either. 
because Jesus was communicating spiritual truths, and those spiritual truths could only be understood with the help of spiritual help, the Holy Spirit. So to help us see that, 1 Corinthians 2, 12, through 14, 2, 12 and 14 says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the things freely given to us by God. And then verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Just like the disciples had to trust that the Holy Spirit was going to help them understand all that they had been entrusted with by Jesus, you and I, we need to humble ourselves I'm speaking to myself here because I'm guilty of this. But who do we think we are to come to Scripture without first praying that God would enlighten us, that the Helper would help us understand it, that God would open our eyes to see what He has to teach us? We're dependent on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to know God the way that He wants us to know Him as our Heavenly Father, if we're going to understand the truths that He's given us in this Scripture, then we need help. And that's the Holy Spirit's role. And so every time we come to Scripture, we need to come humbly asking that he would help us. But then secondly, he says, the, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance everything that he had said. So past understanding, we come to bring to their remembrance. This is going to be helpful in their beginning of the Great Commission. As they take the word to the nations and to their neighbors, they were going to have to remember the things that they had been taught. And in the same way, you and I, whether we're doing it here with our neighbors or overseas in Turkey or in China or Africa, wherever we are, we're called to be participants in the Great Commission. But if you're like me, I bet sometimes it feels a little bit intimidating. It feels a little bit scary because what am I going to say to my aunt? What am I going to say to my friend? What am I going to say to this person who I've just met? Sometimes that can lead us to not say anything at all. But we've been promised that we have the helper. We have the most high God dwelling within us, empowering us and acting as our lifeline so that we can remember he promises to give us the words to say in the moments that we need it, so that we can accomplish the works that he has set before us. And so just as the disciples had a lifeline for evangelism and for the Great Commission, we also have that same lifeline that I think we would all do well to lean into a little bit more than we do. But then the second thing, or second thing that we're going to talk about now, that the helper gives us is peace that the world cannot give us. If we look at John 14, 17, we see Jesus say this. This is following what we just read. Then he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, so let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Again, Jesus knew what was coming, and the disciples didn't. And a customary way that people in Jesus' time and his culture, they would leave their friends, and Jesus is leaving, preparing to leave. They would leave by saying something to the effect of, I'm going to leave peace with you, you know, peace be upon you. And so Jesus says that in a seemingly customary way of, we're about to part ways, 
But then he underlines it and I think ties it to what came just before that when he was talking about the helper. And he says, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Again, surely thinking about what is to come. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And in the same way that he could tell the disciples, despite what you're about to experience, despite what you're about to see, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Have peace. We're called to that same peace. We have that same helper, the same helper that would help them have peace despite seeing their Messiah crucified, despite being left alone without his physical presence, despite facing all of the trials and tribulations that were about to come. They were going to have peace. And we can too. Guys, it doesn't matter what, what life brings our way, no matter whether it's a financial problem or occupational problem, relational problem, fill in the blank with all of the types of problems that we can have. Fear and anxiety is not from God. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace has been promised to those who love Jesus and who set their minds on things of the Spirit. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that if you struggle with anxiety or if you struggle with uh, anything like that, that Somehow you don't have the spirit. Don't hear me say that, but hear me say that he has promised you more. And he's calling you into a deeper relationship with him, that he wants you to abound in love for Jesus so that you can experience greater peace, that you can experience greater freedom than what you're experiencing now. But all of us, even if we don't struggle with fear and anxiety, there are things that do come to all of our lives at various times that make us want to fear, that make us want to shrink back, whether it's in evangelism or whether it's just in living. We want to be anxious about these things. And Jesus says, don't. You've got the helper. You've got the Holy Spirit, God Most High, living in you. Take heart. Don't be afraid. And so let's lean into that promise as well. That's, that's, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit to us. So as we close today... I want us just to leave here focused on the love that has been shown to us through Christ. I want us to leave here being focused on that love that I talked about from Philippians 2, that Jesus loved you enough to leave his throne room, to live the life that you could not live, to satisfy all of the demands of righteousness that you would not only not live up to, but that you would purposely not fulfill sometimes so that he could die on the cross and absorb the wrath of God on your behalf, on my behalf, so that we could spend eternity with him. He loved us with that great of a love. There's no greater love on earth. There's no one or nothing more worthy of our devotion and our love and our sacrificial obedience than Jesus. But I also want to remind us and just say as a brief aside but the promise of the Helper and the Holy Spirit and all of the gifts that come with that, whether we mention them today or other ones that you just know of, that, that's promised to those who love Jesus. So if you find yourself in the category of a person who has spent their life trying to obey Jesus but not really loving Jesus, if you find yourself in the category of someone who is exhausted because you have been trying to live the right way and do the right things and be the right kind of person 
and you're exhausted and you're crushed and you're frustrated, I want, I want to encourage you, focus on the gospel that you've heard today. Focus on the gospel that Scripture proclaims, that Jesus loved you in the way that I just described. And he wants you to be in eternity with him, so much so that he would take your punishment from you. And then watch the weight of legalism be lifted off of you. So that's what I pray that we leave here with today. As we leave here, let's remember the sacrifice of Christ. Let's remember the love that was shown to us. And let's love him with a love that is greater than we love anything else in our lives. I'm going to pray. And then Evan uh, is... Evan's... Oh, no. Andy is going to come up and lead us into another song. um, And then we'll take communion. Father God, thank you so much for your gift of eternal life. Thank you for loving us while we were your enemies. Thank you for um, calling us into a relationship with you. Father, thank you um, that you don't call us to a burdensome obedience that's born out of nothing but compulsion, because you could have done that. But thank you for showing us what love is, and thank you for showing us what what it means to love someone else. God, I pray that you would help us to love you with the love uh, that is greater than anything else that we have, with a love that um, would push us to a life of obedience and a life of devotion and a life that is holy and set apart for you. God, I pray that you would uh, relieve anyone in this room who might be under the weight of legalism, under the weight of um, the law, and that you would lift that from them, that you would help them to believe the gospel, to believe the love that you have shown them, and and to rest in that. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.